You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is your host, Corbin Smith, for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Blue Friday show, my co-host, Nick Lee. It's been an eventful first couple days of the league year. We are finally to our first Blue Friday of the 2021 NFL season. We've got a bunch more news to break down on the Seahawks from the past 24 hours. An extended Q&A session. We're going to be tackling as many of your questions as we can in the second and third quarter. So let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. After trading for Gabe Jackson a couple of days ago, the Seahawks have made another move along the offensive line. Some people were wondering if they were going to go out and sign another center in free agency, but Nick, instead, the Seahawks have decided to bring back their starter from 2020, Ethan Posick, getting a one-year, $3 million contract. This looks like another example of a prove-it deal. The cap hit's going to be barely over a million dollars. The Seahawks are not guaranteeing a starting job. That's at least my estimation here. The center position is one of the deepest positions in this draft. And so this looks like it might be one of those cases where the Seahawks have a hedge with Postic. They know he can play both guard spots. They know he can play center. But this doesn't necessarily speak volumes about him being the guy at center. Maybe he will be, but... I don't think that this is going to stop the Seahawks from continuing to look at other options, particularly in the draft. Yeah, the, the way the contract is presented, I don't see this as a, like, this is our guy. Russell Wilson, this is the guy that's snapping the ball to you for the next three, four, five years. Um, absolutely prove it deal. And um, it, it's it, it made me a little worried at first seeing that, like, really, you're going to bring back the guy the same center you had last year. And now that Russell Wilson's complaining about getting hit too much. And, and, you know, some of that isn't Posick's fault. He was a serviceable center, but I don't think Russell Wilson's asking for a serviceable center. I think he wants a, a high quality uh, spearhead in the offense, in the offensive line. And I agree. I think it's, it's, I think it's more of an insurance thing, especially with the minimal cap hits. Um, maybe you do keep him on and also draft a, a, a guy at center. You can start day one. Because you can slide him in at guard, you know he can be a backup for the two guard spots. You got now Jackson and, and Damian Lewis um, on those two guard spots, and you know there there might not be a ton of depth behind them. And Posick is a guy, you know he's probably not going to be a Pro Bowler, obviously, um, in those positions, but certainly a guy that maybe you can sleep a little bit better at night if one of your guards goes down, knowing that Posick has got at least the experience to go with that. So yeah, I, I still would not count out the the Seahawks. Maybe not signing a big center at this point, I'm definitely headed towards, you know, late April in the draft. Yeah, I would be surprised if they are signing anybody else in free agency unless it's a player that's near veterans minimum that's just for depth. And they already used an exclusive rights tender on Kyle Fuller. So they do have two centers on the roster right now. But at the price point that they are going to be paying Ethan Posick, with him having experience at both guard positions, he has started 30 games in his career – Again, the dollar amount that they are going to be paying him on a one-year deal, this tells me that they view him as a bridge player. And if he plays really well, then he could play himself into a long-term contract. 
But based on how he played last year, he was serviceable, as you said, in 14 starts. I thought after he missed a couple games of the concussion, he was not near as effective in the last month and a half. I thought the first half of the season, he was one of the big surprises with how well he was playing. Late in the schedule, though, his inability to create push as a run blocker in particular is what jumped out to me. And then the playoff game got absolutely owned by the entire Rams defensive line, had a couple holding penalties because he just could not keep anybody in front of him. It was not a good end to his season. Nonetheless, he's a player the Seahawks have confidence in because he has started a number of positions. And so right now this gives them, as like I said, I think they've got a nice hedge at center now, but this gives them the flexibility of the right guys available early in the draft with their second round pick or if they trade down and they're picking in the third round. They could take a center early, and potentially that player could come in and beat out Ethan Posick right away for the job. That would be an ideal situation for the Seahawks. And if Posick steps up to the occasion and beats that rookie out, that's not a bad thing either. That's a good development for your team. Competition, as Pete Carroll will tell you, is very healthy. So the Seahawks were able to keep Posick. Kind of a surprise for some. This was a move that I anticipated if they didn't get one of the bigger name centers, they could go back to Ethan Posick, and that's what they ended up doing. The Seahawks did have a fairly significant loss in free agency yesterday. Shortly after the announcement of Posick's one-year deal, David Moore agreeing to terms with the Carolina Panthers on a two-year contract worth $4.75 million. We can say whatever we want to about the inconsistency issues with David Moore. It's well-documented how hot and cold he's been the last three years for the Seahawks. And last year, it looked like he was finally over that hump because the entire first half, He was playing well. He was on pace for almost 700 receiving yards. But again, when the entire offense was sputtering in the second half, he was nowhere to be found for a good chunk of the final two months of the season. And I think if he would have played a bit better, he might still be a Seattle Seahawk. But ultimately, he just wasn't able to prove he could play with enough consistency to pay him even $4.75 million on a two-year deal. He's a nice addition for Carolina who needs to replace Curtis Samuel. He went to Washington. They don't have a lot of depth at receiver. And, of course, Scott Fitterer, with his Seahawk ties, he helped draft David Moore. It makes sense that he would bring him in in free agency. But, nonetheless, Seattle, they've lost Philip Dorsett. They now have lost David Moore. Josh Gordon's gone. He's still suspended. He's playing in another league. Right now, Freddie Swain would be your number three receiver. And as much as I liked what I saw last year, there's a huge gap from DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett to the rest of the Seahawks depth chart. Well, let's be real. There's a huge gap between DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and about the rest of the NFL and the receivers, at least as far as a duo in in the, in the receiver core around the NFL. Um, But yeah, the the number three receiver is an absolutely a concern. You don't bring David Moore back. And, and, and I I almost said John Arsua, Freddie Swain, (laughs) Uh, John Arsua is kind of in there somewhere. Um, but Freddie Swain, yeah, he showed me enough to be, he could be a, a value guy a, as a four or as a returner. Um, I'm not sure he has that next gear to be a truly impactful number three receiver. I could be very wrong, but um, he, he's he's shown some good things. He certainly is worthy of some looks and some targets and, and to be on a roster, but I just don't know if he's prepped to take on such a big role. The number three receiver position in the NFL, especially if as the Seahawks maybe – you know, let Russell Wilson cook a bit more and, and throwing the ball around. I know the, the offense might be a little different. It could be a big position. Um, it's not going to be a guy that's going to be, you know, 10, 15 snaps a game. And this is going to be a big, a big spot. So the Seahawks are definitely 
going to have to address that. And all of a sudden, all these needs are piling up and they only got three draft picks. What are they going to do, Corbin? Yeah, that's the big issue. You've got three draft picks. Rob and I talked about this on yesterday's show. You've got to figure out how to add draft capital somehow. And if you trade away a player, you're creating another hole that you need to fill. So it's going to be challenging for John Schneider, especially because the Seahawks are now right back up against the cap with the few moves they have made to this point. They're going to have to make some moves with extensions, restructured contracts, you name it. They're going to have to do something to open up some cap space because they can't fill out a roster right now with the cap space they have. So there's going to be more moves. There's going to be a lot more dominoes that are going to be falling here in the next week and a half, two weeks. And then the Seahawks will really shift their attention full board to the draft with the three picks they currently have. Maybe they'll have more by that point. Again, I'm expecting a flurry of moves here because the Seahawks need to with the salary cap situation. And now that number three receiver spot to me, that's one of the three biggest needs they got to fill along with edge rusher. And I still think the center position, even with Ethan Posey coming back, I still think that's an area they absolutely need to find an upgrade. That might be the second round, early third round in the draft now where they can find that player. We'll have to see what John Schneider chooses to do. When we come back in the second quarter, it's our Friday Q&A session. Nick and I are going to be tackling as many of your questions as we can to wrap up the show free agency, draft, coaching, scheduling, you name it, any type of Seahawks questions, we're going to be tackling them. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We've been telling you about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. Built Bar is the amazing low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, amazing tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate in all bars. Now is the time to find out which Built Bar is the best. It is Built Bar Madness. Today's matchup is double chocolate versus caramel brownie. I like double chocolate, but I, I got to go with caramel brownie having the edge on this one. Go to BuiltBar.com or to at bar underscore built on Twitter. Remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order. That is LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. And check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best-tasting protein bar. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Nick Lee. We're covering everything you need to know about the Seahawks, but what about the rest of sports? Now the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski. It's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Many of you have been writing on social media to us asking, when are we going to have a Q&A session? We usually do them on Monday during the regular season. We have switched gears to moving it on Fridays in the offseason season. We've gotten tons of questions from you guys, so we're going to dedicate the rest of the episode to answering as many as we can. So, Nick, let's get to it here. Our first question coming from Vortech tweets, do you think the Seahawks will restructure any contracts soon? This really revolves around two players as far as I'm concerned, Nick, Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner, your two highest paid players Obviously, the issue with restructuring contracts, this is why John Schneider is not a fan of it. You are kicking cap hit down to future seasons. But I think if there's a year that you're going to do it, it absolutely should be right now, especially with the new new TV deal that the NFL just signed. The salary cap is going to shoot up exponentially the next couple of years. So why not kick some of that money down the road 
and take advantage of this opportunity to build your roster with some really talented players that you can sign on one-year contracts. Yeah, you'd like to think with uh, the pandemic, you know, the vaccines, there's light at the end of the end of the tunnel, and that butts will be back in seats um, in this this coming season, even if it's a limited capacity, and eventually a full house again. And you'd think that the NFL would recoup that money and then some with uh, people. I imagine once we're able to fill stadiums, it'll be full for a long time. Don't take that for granted ever again. Um, Russell Wilson, and Bobby Wagner, both are, are combined for about, if my, my math is right, almost fifty million. In, in cap space between the two next season. So that, that's quite a number. So yeah, that's, I think with um, over the cap right now has the cap space at, at under $450,000. That is not even enough to sign like a couple draft picks. If, if, if one, yeah, something's got to give here. Um, it's inevitable. I think that something happens with contracts. Um, I, I think that if the Seahawks can afford to push back some cap hits to later years. I think, like you said, the, the cap space will, will go up and, and other guys will go off the books, I think, and then you'll be able to, to once again address it later on. But this is kind of a unique offseason. It's an, a little bit of an in-between where, you know, you got to recoup some money from the pandemic, but you're also starting to get out of it. And the Seahawks are at a crossroads. you got to make your quarterback happy, and your Super Bowl window is apparently still wide open as long as you're, you have a talented quarterback in Russell Wilson at, under center. Um, so they, they got to do something. They absolutely got to do something. And on, frankly, Russell Wilson's got to put a little money where his mouth is. Um, I know that's easy for me to say without $32 million, but something there's got to be some give and take here. Like, you know, you see with Tom Brady all the time, that's always the gold standard of guys taking a bit less money to spread it around. Tom Brady is one of the best at that in sports and it works, you know, um, there's, there's kind of a reason why a lot of the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL do not win Super Bowls. And this is exhibit A right here with the Seahawks. So I think something like a restructure is inevitable given that they have virtually no cap space. And the Seahawks can do restructured contracts by turning base salary into signing bonuses without asking the player to do it. I mean, Russell Wilson's still going to get his money. He's just yeah. going to be getting it in a signing bonus form and his cap hits sooner be next year. <laughs> I think the main reason we haven't seen him do it up to this point is because they have been actively considering moving him. That's the reality. They have gotten offers from teams. They had one from the Bears they strongly considered. And so you wouldn't want to restructure him because that's going to make the cap hit for trading him go up exponentially. And it's already $39 million. It would have made it impossible to move him. But I think now you've gotten Gabe Jackson. Russell Wilson's clearly excited about that move. Restructure him move forward. Everybody needs to just make peace here in Seattle. You're going to be our quarterback, Russ. We're going to build around you. You can get up to 12 million in instant cap space. You can go get him another lineman. If you want, you can go get a pass rusher with that. You can go get a third receiver. T Y Hilton is still out there. A number of other talented players. So do it. Bobby Wagner. I can understand maybe a bit more why they wouldn't just because of his age at his position you're going to have a huge cap hit next year if you choose to do this, and it's going to make some really tough decisions for the Seahawks next year. But Russell Wilson, to me, this is a no-brainer now. And you have a number of other players you can extend contracts on. So John Schneider is going to get to work doing some of this stuff because he absolutely has to. So I anticipate we will see some moves like this in coming days. Second question here from James Tomlinson. I've heard it discussed on Seattle radio the Seahawks should think about moving Damian Lewis to left guard after acquiring Gabe Jackson. What approach do you think the Seahawks should take in developing Lewis moving forward? 
Yeah, I think that's a, that that ending to that question is the key phrase. The developing the developing of Damian Lewis. I think that you don't want to mess with that. Gabe Jackson is as a veteran. He's 29 years old. He'll be 30 uh, before the season starts, and he has seven seasons in the NFL under his belt, and some of that at left guard. I think that you, if you were going to move anyone around, it needs to be Gabe Jackson because he's the guy that's got the experience, the, the veteran savvy to do that. And with Damian Lewis, you have a stalwart, a staple at right guard for years and years to come. I don't think you mess with that. I think, you know, it, it's true for any sport. You have, you find your young prospect where there's baseball, football, basketball, where you, you see that role he's in, in, in a, as a rookie or as a prospect that he can just excel in. Why would you mess with that? And, and, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And right guard ain't broke. <laughs> Damian Lewis is uh, is a pro bowl caliber right guard. I just don't think you mess with such a young player like that. If you can move anyone around, I think it's the veteran Jackson. And Jackson played his first two years at left guard, and he had his highest pro football focus grades, for what it's worth, playing that left guard position. He's a veteran that knows how to play both positions. I agree with you. I am not moving Damian Lewis to left guard. I mean, if Gabe Jackson comes in and says, I refuse to play left guard, Damian Lewis will move over there. He is the type of selfless player that will do that. But I think the scenario is to have Lewis stay at the spot that he played so well at last year and have him continue to grow there. Jackson can handle the left guard spot, and I don't think he's going to do that where he comes in and says, I'm not playing that side. I think he's going to be happy he's getting his money and he's playing on a good football team that has a chance to contend, and he'll play whatever guard spot that they want him to play. So I don't expect this to be an issue moving forward. Kells206 tweets, is there a possibility the Hawks trade Bobby Wagner? And if so, what trade compensation would you expect? It's a topic that's going to keep coming up because the Seahawks have only three draft picks, and we know Bobby Wagner is going to be 31 this summer. So I understand why people are bringing it up. I even did a mock draft including this trade a few weeks ago just because we know John Schneider is willing to listen to offers, but it does seem like this is still pretty far-fetched. Uh, is there a possibility? No, I, I really don't think there is. Um, if, if you are solely interested on, on recouping draft picks, yeah, you consider a guy like that. But we're talking about your ring of honor, future Hall of Fame defensive captain. I'm not quite sure that that you need to, um, you know, I'm not quite sure that's worth recouping picks for because then all of a sudden you have an enormous hole in the middle of your defense um, not just on the football field with X's and O's, but in the locker room. I mean, that's, that's that would be a huge, huge loss. I would argue almost as much as Russell Wilson would be to the Seahawks. I mean, so no, I don't think it's a possibility. But if you're talking about compensation, I would say no worse than you know second round pick plus a later pick or two to three mid round picks. Seriously, not I'm not moving a Hall of Fame quarterback or Hall of Fame linebacker for anything less than several mid or upper picks. Yeah, if I was going to move him, I guess the one scenario what I would consider is if there were a couple of prospects that I absolutely loved in the second round of the draft and somebody came knocking on my door, call my phone, and saying, we're interested in trading you our second round pick for Bobby Wagner. And then I would say, no, I'll take the second and two other picks on top of it. And then Boom. if they were willing to do that and there's a guy I really want, then you might have to consider it at that point because you do have Jordan Brooks waiting in the wings. He can play that middle linebacker spot, but I'm with you. I don't see it happening. Like I said, I did a mock draft of that trade and 
it was nice having that extra mid-second round pick to be able to <laughs> draft, in that case, Rondale Moore, to put him with Tyler Lockett Ooh, and DK Metcalf. Yeah. But I, I don't see this trade happening. He's still way too good of a player. And, yes, you may never get better value for him right now, but this is still a team that is very much in its Super Bowl window. You're not trading a future Hall of Fame linebacker that was an all-pro still last season. You're just not going to do it. Ian Brooks tweets, who are your top three favorite interior linemen for day two and day three of this year's draft? Given the moves that have already been made in free agency, what do you think, Nick? Well, I'm going to go a little bit homer here. And if you've listened to me <laughs> or anything, um, you know, I'm a big BYU guy. And they had one of the more exciting seasons in school history this past year. And part of that was because of, of course, they had Zach Wilson. You know, they're, they're one of the best quarterbacks in school history. Um, but they also blocking for him had one of the best offensive linemen, offensive lines in football. And so that's no accident. And two guys, in fact, would fit well with the Seahawks, I think. First being Brady Christensen. Um, he, he was their left tackle and was, if I'm not mistaken, the highest graded offensive line prospect by Pro Football Focus they've ever done. Um, so that's pretty high praise. Um, and so I'm still a little puzzled why he's only getting, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh round grades. Um, and then Tristan Hodge, I think, is another one. He's, he's a guard. He's more of a true guard than Brady Christensen is. Um, that would be another one that I, I would look at um, for for as an offensive lineman that, that could really fit into this system and fit into this to this team with, with its needs. Um, th those two guys I think have my, I have my eye on just because I've watched them. I, I think it's a, a blessing and a curse when you have a favorite college football team and those guys are up for draft because – you kind of want your favorite football NFL team to draft them, but also you know a lot about those guys and more than the average football fan. And I think that both of those, Christensen and Hodge, would be excellent additions to the, to the Seahawks team, even off the field too. You know, BYU has a high standard for character and integrity and um, and work ethic, and I think those guys would fit the bill. So, um, And Hodge, is, is a, he's got a bit of a mean streak. I know BYU is kind of a nice guy school uh Hodge is not a nice guy in, in a good way I think that he would fit pretty well uh with Lewis up there in the middle yeah for me my big three when you're looking at day two day three Quinn Miners this isn't going to surprise anybody because if you follow me on Twitter I rave about this guy pretty much on a daily basis he might be my favorite line prospect in this draft coming from Wisconsin Whitewater he had a fantastic senior bowl then he put on a show at his pro day workout Watching the film, I was skeptical at first. I'm like, he's doing this to D3 guys. But then I saw him pancaking guys that play in the SEC. And you can see he's every bit of 320 pounds. And then he added the fact that he had a 32-inch vertical jump at 320 pounds and a sub-five-second 40-yard dash. Sign me up. The dude's aggressive on the field. He's got that orneriness you want. And he can play guard or center. And so that really intrigues me. And then you've got Ben Cleveland out of Georgia who ran a 4.84 40-yard dash at 340 pounds. And I'm telling you, Nick, I don't think that guy, he might have like 5% body fat. Like, <laughs> he is the mountain off Game of Thrones wearing a football uniform. Just this <laughs> big, hulking dude that doesn't have much fat on him. And he moves people. I mean, he is a body mover. So he fits with the Seahawks have always liked to do. And I think he's more athletic than people realize. He, he showed that with a 40 time. So I think he could play in Seattle's scheme, even if they're running more wide zone. I think he's a guy that John Schneider or Pete Carroll would be drooling over in the second round if they had an opportunity to get him or the third round trading down if he's still there. Both those guys might not be available when Seattle's up. If you're looking for a player later in the draft, 
that I think the Seahawks would have a lot of interest in. I'm actually going to bust out a name that's going to surprise people because they're going to be like, but we got rid of David Moore. But there is a David Moore that is an offensive lineman coming out of Grambling State that is fantastic. You talk about a dude that's short and squatty. He is sub six foot, and he is a big, big boy. But he will move you, and he has really light feet. He showed he could play center at the senior bowl, just like Miners did. He looked like a natural, even though it wasn't a position he played in any games. And he's a guy that can bury people off the line of scrimmage. He just looks like a Seahawks-style offensive lineman. And the fact that he's short, he's going to win the leverage battle. And, and if you're Russell Wilson, you're like a 5'10", 5'11 lineman, I might be able to see over it. <laughs> I mean, it's a win wow. for everybody. So those those would be my three. I mean, Moore, to me, is probably the early day three guy that I would be – very intrigued by to bring him into the fold. One last question here before we hit the break. Of course, we got to talk about Richard Sherman. This coming from Michael Gartrell tweets, what are the odds Richard Sherman comes home to the Hawks? We know they signed Akella Witherspoon, who was Sherman's teammate the last couple of years with the 49ers. But could there be room for Sherman to come back still? Well, the odds are probably getting worse every day. Um, that it doesn't happen. It, it seems like that, that's something that would happen pretty quickly if both sides could and wanted to make it work. Um, maybe they're waiting for more cap room. I'm not quite sure, but I, I right now they just straight up don't have room for Richard Sherman on cap and cap space. And but really, this was this seems like a this seems like a no brainer. And even some tweets that Richard Sherman sent out said, "Yeah, you guys are okay. <laughs> you, know, you, you got some good you got some good corners over there." Um, but I would love it. I just don't – I think the, uh, if you're looking for odds, like percentages, I would say 20 25% right now. I'm going to go less than 5%. I, I think with Witherspoon signing and Seattle's salary cap situation, they're going to create salary cap space one way or another. But I don't think it's going to be for Richard Sherman unless he's willing to take a discount to come back to Seattle. I just think all this stuff doesn't add up. I don't. I just don't see it happening. Now, maybe I'll be surprised and ends up happening. I thought before free agency started – there was a chance we might see Sherm come back. But again, the Witherspoon signing now tells me that's probably not going to happen. When we return from the break, we're going to answer a few more of your questions here heading into the weekend. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm Corbin Smith, joined by my co-host, Nick Lee. We're answering your questions, a lengthy Q&A session here on Blue Friday. We already tackled several topics such as Richard Sherman, whether he might be coming back, and what's next for Damian Lewis is a position switch coming in the works here. Let's get to our next question coming from NFC West Champs tweets, what options remain to solve the edge rusher position? The defensive back room has good young talent for competition, but edge rusher is lackluster at best, barring a breakout from Collier or Robinson. There are still quite a few edge rushers on the market that I think could really help the Seahawks. There's one in particular that we already know has helped the Seahawks that is yet to sign with anybody, 
<clears throat> Mr. Carlos Dunlap. <laughs> I think you're going to say Jadivian Clowney. <laughs> well, that would be another one that would fit, yeah. Yeah, yeah Carlos Dunlap was the one I was thinking of, too. I was kidding. Um, yeah, he, he clearly liked his time in Seattle. He seemed like his, his, uh, his career was rejuvenated. Um, I'm also a little intrigued if the price is right by Melvin Ingram, former charger. I think that there he's, he's a dynamic pass rusher when he's healthy, but that's the big win and if as if he's healthy. Um, so uh, Dunlap, I think is the, the external option. I think that makes the most sense at this point, but with the limited cap space that we've hammered home today, um, it's probably going to have to come internally. Um, unfortunately, unless they do find a, a bargain, um, call it like that, like, like NFC West champs mentioned, you know, Collier and Robinson. I think we're forgetting about Daryl Taylor. What was 2019's arguably best pass rusher out of the sec. And yeah. when you're the best pass rusher out of the sec. That says something that he was a second round pick Seahawks traded up to get him. I think that we were quickly forgetting about Daryl Taylor. I know that he had a super disappointing rookie year cause he never played. Um, but if he, when it, when he takes the field for his faux rookie year, in 2021, I think that we're going to remember real quick that the Seahawks wanted this kid really bad. Yeah, Taylor's the big X factor here. But as far as guys on the market, I'm going to throw one more name out that I've talked about a few times on this show. But if the Seahawks restructure a contract or they extend somebody, they open up some cap space, I still think Ryan Kerrigan would make a lot of sense. And I think he might be cheaper than Carlos Dunlap is to bring in because he was a reserve last year for Washington, but he still had five and a half sacks despite playing a far more diminished number of snaps for Washington behind Chase Young and Montez Snap uh, behind <laughs> and Montez Sweat. Pardon me there. But I look at Kerrigan as a player that would still fit at that Leo position. I think he's still a solid NFL pass rusher. You wouldn't have to ask him to become a starter and play 60% of the snaps, but you could certainly bring him in to team up with Taylor and Robinson. I think it would be remiss not to mention Benson Mayoa. I still think it makes uh. some sense to re-sign him because I don't think you're going to have to break the bank to do it, but he had four sacks after Carlos Dunlap arrived last year when he was fresh and he didn't have to play quite as many snaps. I think he can still be that effective with Daryl Taylor coming back and being part of that rotation alongside Alton Robinson. I think Mayoa can get you seven or eight sacks just simply by being fresh and not being overworked. And so I think Mayoa and Kerrigan make a lot of sense. If Dunlap's available still and the Seahawks make the money to get him, then obviously they can do that too. So there's plenty of options still out there. It all comes back to the salary cap, though. Moves have to be made if the Seahawks want to be able to sign a veteran pass rusher. There's no other way around it. Um, Legion of Boom tweets, regardless of what they do next, have the Seahawks done enough to appease Russell Wilson? Well, I'm not Russell Wilson, so I can't say that for sure. But I would say no. Um, Gabe Jackson is certainly a step in the right direction. Ethan Posick is not. Now, we, we both said at the beginning of the show that Ethan Posick might not be the starting center. If he is, absolutely not. I, I think that that's not enough to appease him. I think that even if they draft a guy, I mean, there's no – obviously, we all know drafting is no guarantee, but, you know, the Seahawks can make the effort in drafting a center um, that, that they could plug in as a starter if he wins the job in camp. But, no, I mean, they, they still got some holes. They, they Like we mentioned, we've mentioned all of them. Posick isn't an answer at center long term, and they have no third receiver really 
that that to speak of. I know that he spoke mostly of of tired of being hit, but also you know he wants weapons. And I know Gerald Everett is, is a good step in the right direction as well, but I, I just don't think that they've done enough to really solidify. I was waiting for that real splash, like, Russ, we are on your side. We hear you. We get it. Here you go. I, I haven't quite gotten that move yet. I know Gabe Jackson was is, is a good one, but it, it didn't totally make that big splash for me. I, I think Russ and myself were hoping for I think it's a work in progress. I definitely think Gabe Jackson, that addition, is a very large step in the right direction. I think that that's enough right now to maybe stop the trade discussions that have been going on. But I'm with you that they need to add another weapon. And the center position, maybe it is just the draft, but I'm sure Russell was thinking, well, I asked for upgrades, now we have the same guy snapping to me. And it's nothing against Ethan Posick, but – those are the things that he asked for. And again, there's only so much money to go around though. So the Seahawks hands are tied to an extent there. But if you can get another big time weapon for Russell Wilson, I keep throwing T.Y. Hilton's name out there, but Josh Reynolds is available. Golden Tate, if if the Seahawks are willing to bring him back, I don't know what that would look like, but there are a lot of really solid veteran receivers that are still available because teams don't have money to pay them. You can get a one or two year bargain with some really good veteran receivers that still have plenty of talent. If you can bring in another receiver to go with Lockett and Metcalf and you draft a center in the second or third round that can compete right away against Ethan Posick, maybe beat him out as a rookie, then I think that you are doing, you're making major progress there in appeasing Russell Wilson. Everything's going to boil down to how the team does next year, win the loss. And if pass protection isn't better, and if there isn't another weapon for Russell Wilson to throw to, and the run game's not really clicking on all cylinders, then this team could fall back in the NFC West. If everything's clicking, they could win 12 games again, and maybe this time around make a run in the playoffs, and then you can keep Russell Wilson happy. That's really the bottom line. you got to win games. The Seahawks got to do what they can do so they can win games and make a playoff run. There are still plenty of holes in this roster. So I wouldn't say that he is fully appeased, but they definitely are on the right track. Brandon tweets, can Gerald Everett be a wide receiver number three, i.e. the third receiving option behind Lockett and Metcalf, or do they look for another strong receiver to fill that number three spot? So we just kind of touched on this a little bit, but it does beg the question in this offense, could a dynamic tight end like Everett, who has shown flashes but hasn't necessarily had a breakout season, could him being the guy as the number one tight end bring out the best in him and he becomes a viable number three option in this offense, or is it still going to boil down to getting another weapon? Yeah. Calling Gerald Everett dynamic is, is a bit, is a bit, uh, you know, it's high praise um, for, for a guy whose career high is 417 yards and three touchdowns. Um, But I I get what you're saying. I, I think that in this offense, yes, a tight end could be a de facto wide receiver. Number three, um, it doesn't have to be a tight end per se, or it doesn't have to be a wide receiver per se. Um, it's just a third quality option that'll rack up the yards. So uh, basically what you're asking for from Everett is a career year. If you have a career, I mean, granted, he's going to be 27. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty young still. Um, that, that's, that is certainly not out of the question, especially with a much better quarterback throwing in the ball than Jared Goff was. Um, I think that, that that certainly could open up some doors. I'm open to the idea that Gerald Everett will be the third best 
pass catcher on this team and third best option for Russell Wilson. I'm not saying that's impossible at all, um, but it's it's asking a lot of Gerald Everett from his past production. It, it certainly has it in him, but uh, yeah, that's that's asking. I would say a good third receiver, you know, you know, 600 yards, four touchdowns, that kind of thing, which would be a career year for Gerald Everett and Everett, which I hope he has in him. I still think, as I mentioned last question, that they need to add another receiver that can be that number three guy. I think Freddie Swain is your number four, can make it work, and maybe he can eventually be a number three, but I'm not looking for him to be that guy in 2021. And as much as I like the signing of Gerald Everett, and I think he can surpass his career highs, I also don't view him as a guy that is going to be a 700, 800-yard receiver and get you seven, eight touchdowns. Now, maybe he'll prove me wrong because we know he's got the physical tools and he doesn't have Tyler Higby in front of him anymore. He is the guy. So maybe he ends up having that breakout year. But I think you still, with the receivers that are on the market right now, you got to find a way to open up some cash so you can go get one of those guys and really supplement your passing game. So can he be the number three guy? It's possible, but I still think Seattle needs to aim higher. Go get another receiver that can really be a playmaking threat to go with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Last question here coming from Javier. Should the Seahawks try and trade for Kyle Fuller, if not sign him when he is released? Well, breaking news, Kyle Fuller has been released. The Chicago Bears did that yesterday. So trading for him is off the table. He has been released the Chicago Bears desperate for cap space. He likely was one of the players. I saw, I, I believe uh, it was Ross Tucker that was joking about this yesterday, that he was probably one of the two projected starters that the Bears offered the Seahawks. Now they can't get Russell Wilson. They're just cutting him straight up. But <laughs> this guy is a darn good player. He was an all-pro, a first-team all-pro a couple years ago, had seven interceptions in 2018. He's only 29 years old. He's got long enough arms. 32 plus inch arms and ball skills, he'd be a good fit for the Seahawks. But we've talked about this. It has been a relentless theme in this show, Nick. Where's the money? <laughs> you're not you're not going to be able to go out and get a corner of this caliber unless you restructure Russell Wilson and you put most of that money right back into Kyle Fuller. I think there's going to be enough teams that are interested in him that he's still going to be able to make pretty good money. You know, my first reaction to this question, um, you know, do they sign or trade him uh, with what <laughs> there's just no resources i like where your head's at javier i would love kyle fuller on this team i think that he's still got a lot of a couple of pro bowls left in him for sure he only allowed an 89.8 passer rating last year and allowed almost 55 percent completion percentage so he's still playing football at a very high level at cornerback so yeah if there if there's resources out there that javier you don't that you know about that i don't know about share the wealth here because I would love Kyle Fuller on this team, but there's just, I just don't see any way the Seahawks have enough firepower. Yeah. I don't see any way that this can happen. It's just, there's certain players that are still going to be out of reach and he's young enough and has the all pro pedigree. They're going to be teams. They're going to throw cash at him and they're going to find ways to, now maybe, maybe Seattle does make a bunch of moves because John Snyder's like, I want that man, but I just, I don't see it happening. To me, it's a pipe dream. They need to get a third receiver. They need to get edge rushing help. I think Akella Witherspoon was their big corner addition. Maybe they'll draft one or two guys, but Witherspoon to me is the big free agent addition at that position. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee 51. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, 
wherever you get your podcast by visiting our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. Coming up next Monday, I'm going to be riding solo for our latest installment of Mock Draft Monday. Be on the lookout for the requirements, and I'll be reading through several fan mocks during the show. Enjoy your weekend. Go Hawks.